You can probably just slap a few items in the blockchain, call it an NFT and call it a day. But you've seen some Web2 publishers try that already. There's been backlash and they've just been like, nope, okay, we're just kidding. We're not going to do that. So really to do something meaningful, you got to rework that from the ground up. That probably starts with us ideating with them on, okay, what is the game today? How do you envision that in the future? What do the tokenomics look like? How are you offering incentives? How are people rewarded? Is the emission schedule? Will that last you for four or five years? How is the team structured and rewarded? How do you bring in investors? Those are all questions that I think need to be answered, whether you're Web 2 or Web 3. Welcome to The Wild Show with your hosts, Will Chang, Lee Chang, and Andrew Su. Hi, this is Will Chang, and as always, I have my co-host, Lee Chang, and Andrew Su with me. Hey, guys. Hey, how's it going? Today, we have my friend Ed Chang with us. Ed Chang is the head of gaming of Ava Labs. Ava Labs is the team behind Avalanche, an L1 that is the fastest smart contract platform in the blockchain industry. Prior to Ava Labs, Ed was a senior director of partnerships at the gaming company Electronic Arts. Prior to EA Games, he was the entrepreneur in residence at The Churning Group, a media company that invests in, owns, and operates other media companies where he primarily focused on esports and gaming art. Ed was also the founder of Basics Agency, a gaming influencer agency and consultancy. Ed, we've known each other for like 20 years now. We went to Mission San Jose High School together. We went to UCLA together. I tried to get you to join my fraternity, but you were too cool for us. When we first started getting into Web3 with the podcast five months ago, you reached out to me telling me that you wanted to jump into Web3 full time. Then you got the role at Ava Labs, and I've been trying to get you on the podcast since then. So I'm really happy that we have you on today. Full disclosure, to prep, I watched a bunch of your talks on YouTube and I get why they made you the face of gaming at Ava Labs. Welcome, Ed. Thank you. It's great to be here. Definitely took, it didn't take this long because I didn't want to be on the podcast. It's just been really busy, but I'm excited to be on. So my first question is why Web3? You had an amazing role at EA Games as a senior director of partnerships. What was going on in your mind at the time when you first sent me that message about wanting to jump into Web3 full time? Yeah. So I've held crypto for a long time. Actually, like I, I think I bought my first Bitcoin in like 2013, but it was always just kind of a diversified investment for me. I never really thought too much about it. Never like really truly believed in the blockchain. But I think two things really happened for me. One was big project I was working on at EA kind of got pulled. So it was a little discouraging. And also in the midst of COVID, I started listening to a lot of different podcasts. And I think there was a Chris Dixon one where he started really diving into the potential of blockchain that kind of sucked me in. Around the same time, I had a few friends that were starting to like dive deeper into blockchain or taking full-time jobs in Web3. And so I started to take note. And so like started reading more on blockchain. That took me into DeFi, into NFTs, into gaming. And around the same time as when, you know, Axie Infinity started like their meteoric rise and all this funding was coming in. And it was the really early stages of what Web3 gaming could look like. And for me personally, I saw potential in it. And it just felt like there's a big opportunity here. And at EA, I remember asking around and, you know, I think EA was like sniffing around it, but big companies are going to be relatively slow to adopt some of the blockchain stuff because there's regulation, there's KYC, there's financial things and IP rights. And so it just felt like I wanted to kind of go work on the future. So started interviewing around, I want to say October or November. And that's when I saw you were going deeper as well. And so I had reached out to you then. So just to give the audience a little bit of context of what the difference between like an older, traditional, more traditional gaming company role would be versus Web3 gaming platform. Could you kind of go into your role and what you were doing at EA Games? Yeah. So I was focusing on strategy for competitive gaming group. So everything touching esports and the main titles I was working on were Apex Legends, 
Um, I know you've had Dion on the podcast, FIFA and Madden. So we were really focused around creating a new business stream, if you will, at EA. So that's in the form of things like media rights, sponsorships, microtransactions or in-game items, as well as, you know, other ancillary businesses. So for a gaming publisher, you know, looking at the rise in their stock price and market cap over the last decade plus, a lot of that comes from growing beyond just making video games, whether it's subscription services or esports or merchandising or things like that. So we we're really focused on kind of driving and creating a new business within EA. So, I mean, that industry, the gaming industry is, is huge, right? And so make, basically figuring out how to generate more streams of revenue makes sense when it comes to such big AAA games. When you were looking at Web3, could you figure out what type of roles you could potentially take? Like, how did you navigate the space? Yeah, you know, I love gaming. I've been a gamer all my life. And when I looked at use cases for blockchain, I feel like we're all here because we believe in like the future potential of where it can go to, right? There's a few hundred million maybe wallets or users of blockchain today. We're going to need billions of people to really hit this potential that everyone believes in. And what better use case than gaming, right? There's 3 billion Web2 gamers out there. I'm going to be very generous in saying there's maybe 15 million Web3 gamers today. So the more you can kind of attract from the outside, it's going to be the better. So I saw that opportunity there. I think Web3 gaming is like so early right now that there isn't really like specialized functions, if you will. Like maybe you build a game and you're on that team or you work at a protocol or you're investing in games and maybe you're building infrastructure. There isn't a ton of differentiation out there. And so that's probably part of the appeal and that you get to work on a bunch of things at the same time. And for me, I think I really liked doing a stint on the venture side in the past and working at, at a protocol, you get to see so much deal flow and you get to talk to so many different entrepreneurs. And part of it's also learning from my colleagues who are focusing on things like DeFi and NFTs and institutional, things like that. At what point or and why did you end up choosing Ava Labs, right? Because Ava Labs didn't have really a game thing built out. It's really known for DeFi. And so why did you end up choosing this protocol? Yeah, it's a good question. I was talking to a lot of different protocols and it's a very intriguing and competitive space right now. And so I think it really boiled down to probably three things for me personally. Number one is just everything I had read and really smart people that I had talked to really believed in the tech and were touting a lot of that. Now that I'm on the inside and you know, I've worked here for so long or a relatively long time, I really believe in the tech that we're building. And second was the team. I think Web3 is so early and I've got some horror stories of recruiting and job interviews and just like a lot of Web3 companies didn't necessarily have all that stuff together. And talking to the guys at Avalanche, they had a full talent team and they had a process there. And to me, to some degree, it felt like, hey, if you have that stuff in order, you probably have the rest of your house in order as well. And just really enjoyed everybody I'd spoken to in the process and, and wanted to work with them. And then the third piece was exactly what you said, which is there wasn't a huge gaming footprint, which sounds like a con, but it could be a big pro too, in the sense that I had the chance to come in and kind of set the strategy and be the guy and wanted to bet on myself and see what I could do. So I would say those things combined probably led me to Avalabs. I'd love to dig into the strategy when you first started, but before we get there, Lee, Andrew, and me really don't have really good understanding of Avalanche. Split it like on five description of what Avalanche is and what is it like compared to Ethereum or other profiles? Yeah, of course. And look, I'm still learning as well and I'm no expert, so we can all learn together. But at a high level, it was founded by a professor at Cornell. He's the CEO of the company today and him and a few of his students at the time 
they came up with kind of a novel consensus protocol. So you had like classical consensus in the 70s, which is what most companies use today. It's super fast, it's what Fortune 500 uses, but it's very centralized, right? You have a small number of servers, participants under 100. And then Nakamoto consensus happened in, I think, 2009-ish with the Bitcoin white paper, where it's very decentralized, it scales up beyond 100 participants, but it's really slow, right? A lot of the problems you see with Ethereum, with congestion and transaction times, they actually introduced kind of this novel consensus in 2018, I want to say, called the avalanche consensus, which at a very high level, it involves like subsampling your validators. So it scales to technically infinite validators and participants, but also allows for really fast time to finality. And so amongst the EVM chains, I would say we're effectively the fastest when it comes to transactions. The other thing is we are EVM compatible. So if you're building on Ethereum, if you're building on Polygon, you can effectively like copy and paste your code over. And so the latest innovation or feature that we've really introduced is, is a feature called subnet. If you think about Axie Infinity, right, they've been in the news recently, but they were dealing with some congestion on Ethereum. They went out and they assembled a team and built their own blockchain in Ronit. That is something that is hard to do and let alone run a game. You have to also manage a blockchain. And when it comes to building your own chain, you also have to think about the ecosystem, right? Things like launch pads and decentralized exchanges and guilds and DAOs and all the tooling around that. So what subnets allow you to do is effectively deploy your own private blockchain on top of the main avalanche chain. So you get to do things like not be as congested on the main chain, right? It's kind of like a freeway where our C chain, our main chain is like all these cars on it, all these dApps. You run a subnet, you have your own freeway, you set your own rules too. So a lot of Web2 publishers like this because you can actually do things like custom gas tokens. So instead of ETH or AVAX as your gas token, you can actually make your will token the gas token. You can set custom gas rules. And with games that have inflationary tokens, for example, you can actually charge a fee and burn some of those tokens. You can incentivize validators as part Part of that network. So we really think we're just scratching the surface there. We just had our first public blockchain launch this last week. DeFi Kingdoms is a crypto game you've probably heard of. One of the most popular ones out there. They were on a different chain called Harmony. They were running into some congestion and bandwidth issues and decided to bridge over. And so they created a new world crystal veil on a subnet and really low transaction fees, close to zero, really just seamless user experience. And I think in a few days, they've bridged like just over half a billion dollars into their subnet. So we believe that's the future. We're betting really big on that. And that's kind of one key differentiator that we have. So I want to see if I understood what you just described for Avalanche. So Avalanche is a layer two protocol running on top of the Ethereum EVM, which is the Ethereum virtual machine. And a special feature that you've now built is a layer three a subnet on top of Avalanche. And the subnet, what the nice thing about it is it enables the world builder to speed it up and set their own rules. Is that correct? You're really close. Okay. So we're actually a layer one or a layer zero, depending on how you want to frame it. I think originally we had forts. Ethereum and then customize and build a chain around that. So we are EVM compatible in that you can copy and paste code there, but we are kind of our own separate chain, not built on top of Ethereum, but the rest you've, you've kind of, you've got. Okay. So that is the power of Avalanche then is it's faster and then it enables, and is it mainly gamers then, or is it anyone that is building on the subnets for Avalanche? Yeah, it's anyone, right? If you think about Anytime there's an NFT drop on Ethereum, gas prices spike, right? Like you can kind of trace the source of that. So any type of application that's running a lot of transactions at any given time, 
could leverage a subnet. So you could think about an exchange, right? Or a marketplace, a game, you name it. There's like NFT minting also. There's a lot of use cases there for a subnet. So not just games, although it makes a lot of sense given how some of the large games today, how many players are playing at any given moment. So when you first came on, Avalanche or Ava Labs didn't really have a gaming branch department. I don't know how to call it, but now it's huge, right? And you guys just launched the Multiverse, which is a $290 million incentive program to accelerate new internet subnets for gaming, pretty much. And you have a ton of games like DeFi Kingdom. When you first came onto Avalanche, what did they ask you to do and what was your strategy? Yeah, just a quick clarification. Yeah, Multiverse is for any dApp building on a subnet. The first that we're looking at are all gaming focused and a lot of them in the pipeline, but there's other like DeFi, NFTs and institutional type uh, subnets coming as well. But in terms of the strategy, I think the team was just spread really thin, right? It was a lot, the BD team was a lot smaller and they were working across all these different functions and we're a lot more specialized now with kind of different heads and people focused on different functional areas, but they had done a lot of good work early on and kind of evangelizing. And I've heard some stories from our associates where they're going out to conferences and they're like, hey, have you heard of Avalanche? And at the time people were like, I have no idea what this is, leave me alone. Then a lot of good work of spreading the word about Avalanche and what we're doing. The DeFi growth has helped that. But I think my goal coming in was looking at the landscape. There were some games existing. A lot of them were more like casual, idle type games because on a quick release schedule, you want to launch something as quick as possible, right? And so for me, the vision is not so much to just like fully move away from casual idle games, but really to build the way I describe it as like the, the Netflix of Web3 games, like a really diversified portfolio. So at the time, we needed a lot more core game experiences. So we went out, we closed a few deals, games like Shrapnel, which is like a first person shooter, like Escape from Tarkov. We've got Ascenders, which is like a Zelda ARPG. We've got almost like Ragnarok Online MMORPG on the browser. All these, they kind of flop the slot into different genres because at the end of the day, similar to like a lot of the top publishers out there or some of these services like Steam, Epic Game Store, you want something for everybody, right? And that also includes these casual idle or DeFi games, if you will, because there's always going to be crypto DGENs that don't have the time to actually play a game. They just want to chase the yield and ape into what's popular or make a lot of money. So that's been the vision for us. And the other thing with moving upstream, if you will, into more double A AA or triple A core game experience is that the dev cycles are much longer. Games might take a year, two, three years to launch, which in crypto time is might as well be a decade. So you have to balance out these more like moonshot long bets with more immediate games that are ready to launch or on a shorter time frame as well. So as I have friends starting companies, what I'm realizing is that a lot of these protocols, whether it's Polygon, IMX, Avalanche, they all have a big fund and they're all trying to attract uh, these startups or these companies or these games onto the protocol because the more they're able to attract, the more valuable their protocol gets, right? And so you had a lot of wins, sounds like. Can you tell us about your pitch to these games and why these games have chosen you? Yeah. When it comes down to the tech and the team, I will always bet on us. I truly believe that the tech that we have and the engineering team we have behind us and what we've shipped and what we're going to is ahead above of the rest. The other piece is just, I like to tell the games a lot, which is before we talk about the business side and co-marketing investment, I want to make sure that Avalanche is a place for them to build. We can actually scale with the vision that they have and all that. The other thing is we, we work with a wide range of game developers. Sometimes we have a developer come to us and they're like, 
we've done all our research. We've hired the best blockchain guys. Just leave us alone and we want to build here. Like, that's great. We've also talked with Web2 or Web3 game developers that have never deployed a smart contract before. And we help everybody in that range. So I really believe that we'd like to think that we go deeper than anybody else in terms of partnering with the games and, and working alongside them. And then we've got this co-marketing engine that I think is working really well. We've got like a really strong marketing team. We've got a PR team that goes out and tries to get news articles about new games and launches. So like you've heard some of the podcasts I've been on, but like I'm on Twitter spaces with our games and we just had the Avalanche Summit two weeks ago in Barcelona, which is a huge event for a lot of our games and dApps and partners. So, and then finally, you know, the ecosystem that we have, I think is, is unrivaled in crypto in the sense that we may not be the biggest gaming chain per se right now, but we've got one of the top launch pads. We've got arguably the top decks. We've got guilds and DAOs and funds that are really bullish on the ecosystem. And I think all together, these are all beats that we can also you know, handhold our partners into and really add value across the board. So I'm curious in terms of working with these developers, is it something where it's easy for, say, a game or a developer or company to basically work with you guys on titles or games that, that they already have in their portfolio? Or is it more so building something new? Can you explain the difference or how that might look like in terms of the partnership? Yeah, for sure. So if I'm understanding your question correctly, you're asking like, is there a difference between an entrepreneur that has a gaming team and is like, I have this brand new idea versus maybe a traditional publisher that has a game and they're like, we want to add blockchain to that. Is that what you're asking me? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess helping us understand the difference in how you would approach working with a publisher that already has a game or portfolio that you're trying to say, deploy smart contracts for. Yeah. And obviously, I guess starting from scratch seems like it might be easier, but how you guys look at that and how you guys would partner with a Seiko publisher that already has a game that they're working on. Yeah, great question. I think it's pretty similar in terms of our role in that. You can think of us almost as, it's not the same thing, but almost like if you're building a Web2 SaaS product, you need a payment provider. Whether that's Stripe or Braintree or Venmo or whoever you use, someone needs to power that back end of that payment layer, right? And this is somewhat similar to the protocol that you choose. It's a lot more complex in terms of the wallets and NFTs on the blockchain and stuff like that. But at a high level, it's somewhat similar, right? So we work very closely, whether we have a studio called Wildlife Studios, they're a web two, like top 10 mobile publisher. They're bringing Avalanche into one of their games called Castle Crush. It's been out in the market for, I think, a few years now, and they're now integrating that. We work with a lot of the games I mentioned earlier are just being built from scratch. I think the major piece is if you're building from scratch, you need to build the whole actual game part, the front end, right? So whether you're building in Unity or Unreal, there's a much longer time frame for you to actually build that piece and then also integrate the blockchain piece. I think you've got a like kind of a different problem to solve if you have an existing game, which is how do you rework that whole economy to make it play to earn or play and earn, right? You can probably just slap a few items in the blockchain, call it an NFT and call it a day. But you've seen some Web2 publishers try that already. There's been backlash and they've just been like, nope, okay, we're just kidding. We're not going to do that. So really to do something meaningful, you got to rework that from the ground up. That probably starts with us ideating with them on, okay, what is the game today? How do you envision that in the future? What do the tokenomics look like? How are you offering incentives? How are people rewarded? Is the emission schedule? Will that last you for four or five years? How is the team structured and then rewarded? How do you bring in investors? Those are all questions that I think need to be answered, whether you're Web 2 or Web 3. I would say usually more of the Web 3 publishers have a, a better idea, maybe of like tokenomics and have structured that, but we'll still work with them and, and go pretty deep on what maybe works for them and what doesn't. And then 
all things like with a blockchain, it's like, how long does it take to create a website? You can create one in five minutes. It could take you a year to do that. And I think it's very similar in terms of integrating blockchain, depending on how much of the game is on chain versus off chain, what you're really doing within the logic and a bunch of other things. So within that strategic consulting role for existing games, what's your favorite topic to discover and talk to some of these clients about? I think it's interesting talking to them about some of the motivations of how they found Avalanche, how the company thinks about blockchain in general, like what their roadmap looks like. It's really fascinating, right? Because I think the idea of NFTs and blockchain and play to earn and play and earn, it feels really polarizing these days. There tends to be two camps. One camp is this is the future. It's going to disrupt everything. And one camp is NFTs are a scam and you're burning down the rainforest. And, you know, I think it's probably somewhere in between, but it's always really interesting to see how people find out about your protocol, who else they've talked to, what motivates them, what, what the future roadmap potentially looks like, because it's exciting. On the new builder front, what do you find that new Web3 builders to games need the most coaching on? It's a good question. What I've seen is sometimes you, they'll come in and say, hey, this is an Axie competitor. And so their strategy seems to be, how do we eat into Axie's 2.7 or 3 million MAUs? That addressable market is still so small to me. Figuring out how you bridge that gap into, again, the 3 billion Web2 gamers is one thing that I push our games on a lot, which is what is your marketing strategy, right? How do you plan on bringing more people into the funnel? And as you move into more core games, whether it's a battle royale or a MOBA or an FPS, like, you need a lot of people in the queue on day one that you launch your game to make it like a seamless experience, right? So I think there's a marketing user acquisition angle. I think as the tech gets better and you have more fiat on ramps in terms of you can just put your credit card down and buy some of the tokens versus go buy on Coinbase and send somewhere else and then add an RPC. All those things will get better, but I want the games to be focused on thinking bigger, right? How do you get to 10 million, 100 million users versus just your first five, 10,000. Yeah, I think I've actually seen a pattern with all dApps, not just games, needing to think through their actual marketing strategy and coaching, not coaching, but through their marketing plan and thinking bigger, like you were saying. What are the marketing resources that you advise people to commit, whether that's people, a specific strategy, or amount of tokens, for example? Can you give some examples? Yeah, I think some of the most successful launches have been based off of a really strong initial community. So that's whether it's in the Twitter sphere, Discord is obviously like a massive funnel for these games. And it's not necessarily about how many people you have in the Discord, because that can easily be gamed or affected with like certain things. But it's really like, how do you build this funnel for you that then incentivizes more people to come in and see what's going on. And one of the games I had mentioned earlier, the game called Ragnarok, I've been really impressed with the quality of discourse in that discord in terms of they've got people changing their name to like tags from the game and making really cool art and music and things like that. So I think it's community first, but then it's also how do you think about advertising or marketing that? So We'll mention I had an agency way back in the day where I managed some like the early big Twitch streamers, right? And one of the tactics for a lot of these publishers would be if someone's building like a MOBA, they would go to some of my big league streamers and say, I'm going to pay you a ton of money to play my game on stream and tweet about it and then like make a video. That's very simple, right? But that's an example of something that I would love to see more and more of the games like look to adopt in terms of finding the right influencers or partners to bring on and then 
pretty seamless onboarding for them. And I think we're still pretty far from the mobile world of spending on ads and user acquisition, but that's going to be something I'm sure is inevitably going to happen. It's just a matter of when and the question around like app stores and things like that. When you first started at Ava Labs, I asked you how it was and you said it was like drinking from fire. And I think a lot of people that are kind of jumping in this Web3 space can relate. Can you just describe what that feeling was at the time and how you ended up navigating it and learning about the space? Yeah, I mentioned that I had been exploring the space or going pretty deep for almost a year before I think I had joined Avalabs. And I was spending a lot of time after hours and on weekends, but nothing prepared me for like versus actually working in it. And so starting in week one, I was like thrown into a bunch of call and I was like taking some of them and it was a lot. And I'm still getting my feet under me and learning a lot. A few things I would say are helpful. I've got a few BD associates that are just super well-versed started their blockchain clubs in college. And I'm so jealous that they just have this like path into Web3. But surrounding yourself with really smart people and asking dumb questions like, hey, on this call, you mentioned this. What does that mean? And just swallowing your pride and being like, hey, I need to figure this out. And I'm sure you guys have all felt the same where I'll read a white paper and then it, it only leads me to have to read 20 more things online that I take notes of, right? I would say the other piece is like actually just trying things, going out and buying some axes, right? Or trying this DeFi protocol and seeing how it works. I'm probably one of the few people that probably lost money last year on DeFi, but the education that I got was invaluable to me of like learning different protocols and how DeFi works and unfortunately how impermanent loss works and all things like that. Just like going and doing, right? And I think the space is so early and young enough that a lot of people will have a lot of value adds. I've seen people in Discord groups of mine that they just started going down the rabbit hole, started tweeting what they were learning. And then all of a sudden like, people are following them and retweeting them. It's like, we've all got something to learn. Well, you're the same way, right? You just start going down this rabbit hole and like, hey, you got a podcast now and we'll see where it goes from there. So I would love for you to explain to the audience what the difference between a Web 2 game versus the Web 3 game is. And I would like to for you to kind of use your wins, like the games that you've brought on as examples. Could you give us conceptually what the difference between a Web 2 game versus the Web 3 game is? Yeah, I mean, I think the key part here is maybe if I can draw from my childhood, but I spent a lot of time playing games like Counter-Strike, right? Or GoldenEye, Mario Kart, StarCraft. And the common theme here is I paid to play these games and I've spent probably hundreds of hours playing them. Parents probably thought it was a massive waste of time to be playing all these games, right? The other piece within this is like, these are all games controlled by the publisher and I guess later on in games like Overwatch, Valorant, Counter-Strike, their skins and things like that. At the end of the day, they're held within that walled garden of the publisher owns or the platform, right? Looking at a Web3 world and maybe like an optimistic scenario where we're looking at apples to apples in terms of like fun to play core games, I could see a world where I'm still playing games that I really enjoy playing. I'm spending a lot of time playing those games, but maybe there are tokens that I earn that have some value to them. They're a currency within the game. I can buy certain things in the game. I can get rewarded for winning or for playing. And there's upside there. Considering how I spent playing other games, there's hopefully more upside. And then in terms of the in-game items, right? There's a concept of being able to I truly own that, right? Like similar to an NFT where I can take that with me and make it my profile picture in something. Maybe looking back, they're holding a certain item or minting a certain item unlocks a certain feature for me. So there's a lot of really cool things that you can do with NFTs and the in-game items themselves. And then just the concept of true ownership of this is tied to my wallet. No matter what happens with the game, I still own this asset and it can appreciate. And then there's kind of that metagame there as well. 
So besides the difference of all the new aspects that you just talked about in Web3, I'd love to get into what's your recommended onboarding onto an Ava Labs game? Like is what's the base to get set up and get to playing? Are you talking about steps that are required to getting involved? Yeah, maybe I'm a noob, but I know that you'll have to switch probably the protocol in your wallet as an example. So is there kind of a best path onto Avalanche games? Yeah, so I think anytime you onboard onto a new protocol, whether it's DeFi or buying NFTs or playing games, you definitely need to set up your wallet. So MetaMask is probably the most popular. We've got our own custom wallet coming out relatively soon, but you would have to add the RPC to support the network and get that all set up. And then you would likely need to buy or hold some a box token, right? So you can buy that from almost any centralized exchange and then send that into your wallet. You can also bridge a really seamless bridge. You could bridge like your Ethereum assets, for example, onto the network and then use an exchange like Trader Joe or something to swap for assets. And so you would probably want some in-game assets in terms of tokens. And then you would go to one of our NFT marketplaces, whether within the game itself or something like a Kalau or NF Trade, and potentially buy some of the NFTs if the game you're playing does require NFTs to play. And then you would either download the game or go to the website. Hopefully by then you've got tokens in your wallet, you've got the NFTs, and then you can go ahead and start playing. We are going to see this new wave, I think, similar to mobile or even AAA games with free-to-play adoption. Those are just around the corner because, again, that opens up that funnel so much wider than needing to kind of spend a certain amount of money to play the game. Totally. So you actually just inspired an idea that I wanted to ask you about, which is that all the games that I've played, they take you through a onboarding phase where they teach you right the different moves they build upon the knowledge that you need have you considered doing a web 2 onboarding that teaches them all the onboarding steps that you just said into a web 3 game or have you seen anybody doing that yeah it's a really good idea adding like a first time user experience to a game that you download i haven't seen that yet i think it's a great idea i do think that you can potentially shortcut something like that by just making it really seamless to onboard. So being able to accept maybe credit cards or something to, as payment to get your first tokens or NFTs. And then what I've seen a lot of some games do is that they offer custodial wallets. So potentially you could be playing the game and have a wallet and have some crypto in it and not even know you're playing a blockchain game until you need to transfer it out or sell the asset and then transfer it to your wallet. Let's talk about some of the games that are actually being launched on Avalanche just to make it a little bit more tangible. You mentioned DeFi Kingdoms. What is DeFi Kingdoms? Yeah, DeFi Kingdoms is a game. It's 8-bit pixely, really pretty art and really cool music. And their vision is to build this MMORPG experience on the blockchain in the browser. So a lot of games start out with a POC and then they kind of build features around that as they pick up Steam. And DeFi Kingdoms is an example of that. If you look back a year or less where they were to where they're at now, it's kind of improving on this design and adding more features. And Web3 is really about building in public where the traditional model is you raise 10, 20 million dollars and you go in silence and you build this game and you come back three, four or five years later and you're like, we've got a game and it's pretty polished. The outside looking in, you don't really see all the bumps and bruises and steps along the way and the iterations to get there. Web3 is very much like, here's the white paper of the vision. Let's launch that. And I would say the DeFi team has done a really good job of kind of building out that experience to date. And they've got more in the pipeline. Let's talk about AAA games. I'm sure a lot of game studios are seeing this explosion in Web3 and are thinking about AAA games. 
with your extensive background in the game industry, you probably have a lot of connections and are tapping some of these game studios to talk about the potential building Avalanche. When you talk to them, are you basically pitching them on getting into Web3 gaming? So I think usually when we talk to these traditional publishers, they're all looking at it and exploring it. And they've probably assembled a team or hired out a team to start looking at building something in Web3. I would say usually they're not looking at taking, you know, their largest IP or their biggest sources of revenue and putting that on the blockchain. It's more, what's a test we can do? What's a new product we can build in the space? Which makes sense. When I take a look at the games that are being built on Avalanche, you can't really tell they're Web3 games, right? And the reason why I say that is because a lot of the Web3 games are live right now. They're pretty simple or the graphics are great. And some of the games that are coming out Seem like real AAA games. What are these some of these timelines for these games that are being built? Yeah, it really depends. But I would say for the higher def, the more core game experiences that are coming to the platform, the range is, I'd say, anywhere between one and three years to build out the game, right? So they're hard at work and heads down doing that. And then oftentimes these games will also be building other features or mini games to showcase that, hey, we're working. This is not a rug. This is a sample of the capabilities that our team has, because you kind of do need to show these progress, especially for investors or players who are investing into your tokens or your NFTs. I actually want to go all the way back to when you first started getting to gaming. You built a consultancy that for agency that basically managed in sports, right? And this was kind of like a side thing that you were doing while you were working at your normal startup job. Can you tell us a little bit about how you ended up starting this agency and what that was like? Yeah, I had graduated UCLA and I was waiting to start my first full-time job. And I moved home for a little bit and that's around when StarCraft II came out. And so I really enjoyed playing the game, but I've never been amazing at playing games. Like I was never very good. And then around that time is when like, there are certain YouTubers that would download these replays of matches between pros and they would just cast over it. I became obsessed. I would just watch like long these like replays of the best players and I, would, I couldn't get enough. And then around that time is when back then the streaming services were like Ustream or Livestream or Justin TV, which eventually became Twitch. They all started like, seeing this opportunity and they started onboarding streamers to Livestream. And back then having a thousand people watching you at one time was a lot. And nowadays it's like streamers are getting 60, 70,000 people at any given moment. So. I was just really fascinated in that space. And so I networked my way in, helping out, you know, one of the StarCraft two teams on the business side. And then I met some of the guys at Justin TV, Kevin Lynn and Justin Kahn. And so I just always stayed in that space because it was really interesting to me. I had chances to join full time at different companies. But to me, I thought it was super nerdy watching other people play video games. It was never anything that like I would volunteer myself. So I was like, oh, this is super niche. Like, I feel like I'm the only person that does that. Fast forward to now, it's so mainstream and it's just crazy how far it's come. But that's how I got my foot in the door early on into esports. What did you do for these gamers? Yeah, so eventually I met some of these Twitch streamers. A lot of them were really young. The first guy I was managing is a streamer named Boxbox, and he was a big League of Legends streamer and he still streams today. He had graduated high school, was going to skip college, like moved out to LA. And a lot of these like really young guys or young people in general who we're just, they're all about stranding and playing video games. And they needed a little bit of help on the business side because sponsors were hitting them up. They didn't really want to deal with like negotiation and billing. And so one time I, I think I'd asked him, I was like, when's the last time you got paid by this sponsor? And he was like, I don't know. 
because you got a subscription revenue, you've got donations, you've got other stuff. And I was like, how about I just, I help you manage this deal flow. And so that went really well and got a few other people that I met through just the network. And then before I knew it, I had a roster of a few different streamers that either a combination of exclusive relationship or just like would bring them deals. It was a lot of fun. It was probably one of those things that was kind of before its time in the sense that it was like the little leagues then what I was doing. And then now you've got like all the major talent agencies, you know, like CAA, WME that are representing streamers and esports teams and things like that. So that actually makes me wonder, how is the Web3 community or how are you thinking about, we're talking about like streamers and how has that been tied into the Web3 space? And how are, for example, games that you talked about, like LOL or in esports, how are these types of games, publishers or these communities tying into Web3 or how is that convergence happening? Yeah, so I think you're already seeing some penetration on the blockchain side into esports and gaming. TSM is one of the most popular esports orgs in the world. They signed a title sponsorship with FTX and it was rumored to be worth 20 or $30 million a year, right? So their teams are all called TSM FTX. You've got Coinbase, blockchain.com, crypto.com, like sponsoring different teams. But what I think is really interesting is the teams that see the forest for the trees, the long-term vision of Web3. So there are esports teams out there now that are starting like guilds or Web3 games or blockchain projects, which I think is super interesting. And introducing the concept of guilds is like Web3 esports. Guilds are an interesting place, I think, because you had the success of folks like YGG and Merit Circle and some of the really big guilds. And they're kind of evolving into being more almost like index funds or advisory for a lot of these Web3 games because they've got so, they've got a lot of AUM, they've got different scholars, they've got a whole marketing engine. And so I think you're going to see this divergence or this convergence, if you will, sorry, of esports teams and Web3 guilds. And it's almost like a race to see who can build that piece faster, right? Esports teams are going to try to see, oh, how do we get into Web3 gaming? The monetization is much stronger in terms of ARPU and things like that. And can we build out a scholar program? And then for the Web3 guys, it's like, oh, can we do this marketing engine with influencers and whatnot? So I think you'll start to see those lines blurred. And there are influencers out there today that are into crypto or into Web3 games or at least see the opportunity there. When we talk about guilds, what type of guilds are on Avalanche? What are they doing? Yeah, we've got some guilds that are either like native to Avalanche or are very supportive in terms of the ecosystem. And then we've also got some of like the large guilds like Snack Club or YGG or GuildFi that are like starting to look at the space. And I think the interest from guilds is probably directly correlated to the GameFi traction of that respective protocol. You're going to want to go to fish where the fish are. And so we're starting to see that interest across the board from those guilds. And really, I think for a guild as their business, they're going to need to diversify. It doesn't necessarily make sense to only focus on one ecosystem. And so I think they're going to draw from different protocols because they're going to try to support the best games out there. And in reality, there's going to be really popular games on multiple protocols. Going back to the support, the plan that you guys have, you mentioned at Avalabs, you guys have the foundation with the Avalanche multiverse and how you guys are working with potential partners on giving them any type of like, I guess, other than guidance and helping them think about token strategy, et cetera. Do you guys also have, say, like in-house incubation? Are you guys thinking about launching your own games? Can you talk a bit, a bit more about the blueprint or strategy that you guys have? Yeah, so we've got a fund. It's called the Blizzard Fund. It's no affiliation with the game publisher. It's effectively an extension of Avalanche. And 
It's about a $300 million fund that we have a bunch of LPs in there, folks like 3AC, CMS, Dragonfly, Polychain, Republic, and a few others. We effectively invest into the ecosystem with that fund, right? So it needs to be projects that are good for the ecosystem and deploying on Avalanche, but also that we have conviction about and feel like it can be successful. And so we partner alongside our, our projects and invest in terms of equity or token type rounds. And then we've got like out of the foundation, we've got a few different programs. So one of them was called Avalanche Rush. It was a program designed to incentivize and bootstrap liquidity for DeFi, which they've done a really good job with because I think we're any given day, top four, top five protocol in terms of TBL. We've got the multiverse incentive program that you mentioned, which is focused around incentivizing deployment and usage of subnets that we work with our partners on. And then we also announced at Summit actually a $100 million culture catalyst fund, which is focused around bringing NFTs onto Avalanche. So that's, you know, licensing entertainment, influencers, music, movies, film, television, you name it. And we're partnering with a, a company called Open to execute and deploy on, on that. That's a lot of money in the ecosystem. So there must be a ton of excitement around building on Avalanche. Yeah. I mean, I think most protocols out there have funds that doesn't necessarily make us unique, but I do think that the combination of the value add in terms of the non-finance, non-monetary and the monetary things that we can offer make us a very compelling place to be building on. Other than say like game studios, publishers, what other types of companies are you guys, for example, potentially looking to invest in? I'm thinking of like, maybe companies are providing tools or different types of resources for the said ecosystem. Can you give us some examples of that? Yeah, I probably wouldn't limit it to just projects that we invest in, but ones we're looking to actively partner with and person talking to, but there's probably a whole market around innovating and leveraging NFTs, whether that's renting platforms or protocols or delivering better yield on your NFTs or loaning against them, things like that. I think there's backend as a service, right? Just like Unity and Unreal made it really easy for any game developer to, to spin up a game or really help them in doing that. You've got different platforms like Stardust or FTX White Label and Forte and Mythical that are making it really easy and seamless to be able to build your own Web3 game rather than do it all from scratch. And then I think the metaverse, like I hate that word, but I love the word. There's definitely going to be more players that come in and try to build this second life, ready player one type experience. We haven't officially like invested in any of them because I do think that there's like a question around and user acquisition. And you look at even the big metaverses out there, how many people are actually using it. But I do think it's inevitable that someone's going to build this virtual world that other games and features and DeFi protocols can all plug into and everyone's going to be living in this persistent state. That's top of mind for me as well these days. So. Do you help every game that actually comes to speak with you? What I'd say is we do our best to talk to every game that looks to build on the platform. Unfortunately, we don't always get to everybody, but we do our best, whether it's a Telegram chat or email or a phone call or a shared Slack channel. We're always looking to scale up our efforts and really just be able to be there for every person that's building. Totally. And then follow-up question to that is, so what is your team makeup? that actually is helping develop all these folks? What are their roles? What are their expertise? Yeah, you know, specifically around the gaming vertical right now, I've got two BD associates that work really closely with me. They're kind of that first line of defense in terms of initial conversations with the games and advancing them to different conversations or bringing them to the investment committee and going deep on the tech. They're actually very tech savvy. I've also hired an analyst who 
it's kind of his job because from TradFi, but he looks at all the different projects and lets us know like some of the feedback in terms of whether it's tokenomics or addressable market or looking into the team and the background of that. So we're, we're we've kind of built out this process to try to scale up in terms of managing all this deal flow because we're getting a lot of it. And that's kind of the BD team today. And then of course the BD team is kind of split into different verticals and we've got people focused on DeFi, institutional NFTs, and then we've got a team that manages the fund as well. So what makes games currently stand out and what trends are you seeing as they're coming to talk to you? For Avalanche ourselves, I think we're pretty focused on, again, building that diversified portfolio of games. So things like card games or racing games or metaverse style projects are all interesting to us, given that we know what that pipeline looks like and really want to round that out and fill that out. I think in terms of trends that we're seeing, I mentioned a little earlier, the concept of a free to play web three game is fascinating to me. And I think really exciting. You see a lot of games where the floor lowest price of the NFTs to play, gets really high, right? And unsustainable for most people to just participate. I think that's probably more sometimes like a bug than a feature, right, of the game and that you're limiting who can be playing. So we're starting to see some pretty cool ideas around maybe starting the game, you get fungible units like the base level, but then if you want to upgrade them or change the cosmetics is when you mint an NFT. So that doesn't preclude anybody from playing the game. We're starting to see more and more mobile focused type games. And we all know the addressable market of people holding a mobile phone versus a PC and whatnot. So. Those are probably some areas that are interesting. We're also starting to see some publishers who maybe have games that were really popular back in the day or certain IP, and they're looking to kind of revitalize them or bring them back with a Web3 concept, which I think could be interesting as well. Are there any favorites in those new trends that you can share with us that are out or soon to be out? I think with how much I'm working these days and being cooped up inside with COVID a lot, I used to love playing hardcore multiplayer games where it's all about your rank and, and grinding and shit talking and things like that. And nowadays, sometimes I just like a good farming simulator, just like a relaxing single player narrative where no one talks to me and it's NPCs. And I think we're seeing more of those games where you like tend to your garden or your pet or things like that. There's a few that I'm pretty excited about that are just around the corner for us. Awesome. Well, I think this is you to tell everybody where they can find Ed to get help from his amazing resources and the four different funds that AVAX is helping with. Yes, what Andrew said is if I was a game and I'm interested in working with AVAX, where do I go? Yeah, so you could reach out to me. My email address is ed.chang at avalabs.org. That's C-H-A-N-G. I'm on Twitter at EDC. My DMs are open and I'm excited to hear from anybody who wants to discuss Web3 Gaming, is building a game, wants advice. I'm all ears. I'm really happy that you came on and I'm really glad we got to catch up since when we first started Able Apps. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ed. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening until the end. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It'll help more people like you find us. You can find more about us on wild.show, wld.show. Please subscribe to our newsletter or DM us on Twitter. We'd love to get to know you. 